Today we're going to be picking up where Dan left off last week in Genesis 24. Uh, Genesis 24 is one of the largest, it is the largest chapter in all of Genesis, and so we have a lot of verses to cover. If you remember last week, um, when Dan started this chapter, basically uh, we had Abraham, and Abraham had commissioned his servant to go out and find a wife for his son Isaac. And the servant went on this journey, this adventure, and he met this woman named Rebecca. And Rebecca got a whole bunch of water for a whole bunch of camels. And that is where we find ourselves in this story, in chapter 24, verse 28. Because it's so long, I'm just going to get straight into it. Uh, One of the things that you notice uh, with this chapter is the word go shows up a lot. Um, In fact, it shows up 12 times. You're not going to notice it as many times in your English Bible, but the Hebrew word for go shows up over and over and over again. And there's a lot of going on in this chapter. You've got the servant who's going. You've got Rebecca who's saying, I'll go. You've got the family saying, yes, you may or may not go. There's a lot of going going on. And I don't know about you, but, I mean, springtime is in full swing. Summer's coming up. And I bet you feel like there's a lot of going going on in your home. I know I do. I know that life, a lot of times, it can push us, it can pull us, and just jerks us around. Sometimes, as we go through life, we have to take risky and uncertain paths. And when we look at this chapter, you're going to notice that the people in it, for the most part, are really faithful. We don't have examples of what a horrible sinner looks like. We don't have examples of sin or rebellion against God. We have people doing what they're supposed to do the way they're supposed to do it. But even in their faithfulness... Life is still hard. So think about that as we read through this passage. Genesis 24, verses 28 through 67. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan. And take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son, for my clan, and for my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you now are prospering the way that I go. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please, give me a little water from your jar to drink. 
And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the one, the woman, whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please, let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head, and I worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments, and he, he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Well, let the young woman remain with us a little while. At least ten days after that she can go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent Rebekah away, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us through your word, and we ask that today, as we look at it, and as we explore this passage, that you would guide and lead us, and that you would speak to us from it, that you would challenge us and encourage us, and that we would find peace and hope and comfort in what you have done and what you are doing for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So at first glance, this passage is a wedding story. And that's what it is. It is a love story between Rebecca and Isaac. It's their wedding. But it's more than that. You see, this passage is more than just this wedding passage. It's actually about this mission that God is on. God is on a mission. He's on a mission to restore everything that's broken, to redeem sinners, and to bring us comfort in Christ. And as we're looking at this passage, we need to understand that mission that God is on. 
Because when we understand the mission, we can know that as we go, we have to prayerfully keep on going, we have to faithfully risk going, and we need to make sure that we look to where we're going. We have to prayerfully keep on going, faithfully risk going, and look to where we're going. Let's take a look at the servant in this passage. Okay, we talked about last week how this servant has a really big challenge before him. He has to travel 550 miles from where Abraham is all the way back to Abraham's homeland. He has to travel in this great journey on camel. And then once he gets there, he has to find a woman. Not any woman, but a woman who's from Abraham's family. And then he has to somehow convince this woman to go back with him to a strange land to meet a strange guy who she's going to marry and probably never return home again. That's a, that's a difficult task. So how is it exactly that the servant goes about it? Well, he stays on task and he prays. He stays on task and he prays. And as you see in this story where we pick up, he's already met Rebecca. And now all of a sudden she's going back to her brother Laban. And Laban sees the jewelry that she's wearing and his eyes light up. He's like, oh, who's this guy? And instantly Laban wants to just wine and dine this servant and just, you know, come on in, come on in, take a break. But this servant, who has been traveling for 550 miles an entire month, says, no, I'm not going to be deterred. He keeps on going. He is going to stay on task. If you look in verse 33, it says, then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. So they said, okay, what you got to say? And so the servant began to explain everything that had happened, starting with Abraham sending him out, how he arrived at the well, how Rebekah had showed up, how everything seemed to be in line with exactly what God had wanted. And then in verse 49, he doesn't, after telling his tale, stop and say, okay, now I'm going to give you some time to think about it or let's talk about it or I'm going to let all of this sink in. No, he just gets straight to the point. This guy keeps on going. He says in verse 49, now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. You see, in this culture, it was, all the, it was completely up to the family. Whether or not he was going to marry, or whether or not Rebecca was going to marry Isaac or not, was up to the family. They had 100% say. And this servant, he's just got the horse blinders on, and he's charging forward. He's saying, yes or no. Now, that question may not seem like that big of a deal to us, because we know what's going to happen. But for just a moment, put yourself in the perspective of the servant. 550 miles by camel through terrain that isn't necessarily the most friendly. He's got to figure out how to eat, how he's going to get there. He has a lot of treasure that he's carrying with him. And so he's dealing with bandits. Am I going to get robbed? Are people going to attack us? And then finally, he arrives at this well after this long, hard journey by camel. And now the questions start popping into his head. You know, how am I going to find this girl? Is there even going to be a girl? What is she going to say when I talk to her? Is this even going to work? And all of those pressures. And then all of a sudden this girl shows up. And wow, it's exactly who I was looking for. But that's not enough because now you have to deal with the family. And so he's going before the family. And he's saying, um, okay, so uh, I know you just met me. 
but I was wondering if I could have your daughter and take her away to marry this guy that you don't know. You'll probably never see her again. Uh, yes or no? What's your answer? I mean, there is tension in this verse. He's saying, will you let her go? And you can imagine that the servant is just sitting there going, please say yes, please say yes, please say yes. And they do. They say yes. Because the Lord had prospered his way. You see, the, the servant had kept on going. He just kept on going. Even when it was hard, he kept going. But he didn't just charge ahead. Look at the way that he went. In verse 42, he prays, O Lord, God of my master Abraham. And then in verse 48, then I bowed my head. And again in verse 52, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. Everything that this guy is doing is just surrounded in prayer. He's praying all the time. He just doesn't charge ahead. He's praying as he's going. And so what do we do with that? Okay, so we should surround everything we do with prayer. Great, okay, let's pray. But prayer is kind of a, a tricky thing, isn't it? I mean, it's confusing. How exactly does prayer work? Um, one scholar that I uh, read had a definition for prayer that I really liked. And so we're going to put that on the screen. It says, prayer is the instrument of and response to God's providence. Prayer is the instrument of and response to God's providence. In other words, God is on a mission. He's got a plan for what he's doing in and with the world. And somehow, prayer both moves that mission forward and at the same time is reactive to what God is already doing. Prayer is a little mysterious, but what's not a mystery is that we're called to pray. We're supposed to be praying. But then the question comes up, what do I pray for? I mean, I think it would be really cool if I had a Ferrari. I mean, that would just be neat. And so I could take some time and I could pray for a Ferrari. But I'm pretty sure that God is not going to give me a Ferrari. So what do we pray for? Well, let's take a look at how the servant prays. He's praying this entire time that God would help him in this journey to find a wife for his master's son, Isaac. Why is that such a big deal? Why does it matter if Isaac has a wife? Well, in order to understand, we're going to have to look back a little bit to Genesis 22, verse 17, and hopefully that will be about there. In Genesis 22:17, God promises Abraham, he says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. God had promised Abraham that he would become a mighty nation, that his offspring would outnumber the sand and the stars, that he would become a mighty people. And as far as the servant knew and as far as Abraham knows, that is not going to happen as long as Isaac is a bachelor. God's on a mission. And the servant understood that. And so his prayers were in line with that mission. He was praying that, God, may your mission be done. So how are we going to understand what God's mission is and what we should be doing? You read your Bible. That's how we understand what God's mission is. Read your Bible. How do we know where we should go, where we should keep on plugging ahead? Read your Bible. It's going to tell you what God is doing and help you understand how you should pray and where you should go. But as you read your Bible, um, you're going to notice 
that sometimes it has challenging things in it. And sometimes there are things in the Bible that are going to prompt you that if you're going to be faithful, you have to take risks. The servant isn't the only one who's demonstrating faith in chapter 24. Because we can also take a look at Rebecca. So what do we already know about Rebecca? Well, we already know that she's a beautiful woman, that she's a hard worker, that she's kind, and that she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. I mean, uh, giving water to ten camels is a lot of work. But all of a sudden, she's faced with this challenge. What is the challenge before her? She's being asked to leave her family, leave her home, leave everything that's familiar, and head out with this guy that she just met yesterday to marry a man that she has never met in a land that she has never been to, knowing that she will probably be there the rest of her life. Oh, yeah, and along the way, she also has to travel 550 miles by camel. That's hard. Ladies, I don't know about you, but I know from my wife, change is really hard. And all of a sudden, Rebecca is being presented with this challenge. Well, how does she deal with that? Well, let's take a look. In verse 54, the servant says, send me away to my master. He wants to leave right away. Remember, this guy's got the horse blinders on. He's like charging ahead. He's, I'm ready to go. And the family says, whoa, 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 whoa. You just got here. In verse 58, they're saying, you know, why don't we wait a few days? She can spend some time. And, and considering where she's going and what's happening, that's not that unreasonable of a request. But the servant says, no, I really want to get on the road. And so they say, okay, let's ask the young woman. And see in verse 58 how she responds. She says, I will go. I will go. Now, the immediacy and the simplicity of her faithful response isn't quite captured in the English. Because in Hebrew, it's just one word, a lake. She says one word. In this entire dialogue, all this transaction between the family and between the servant, Rebecca just says one word. I will go. This isn't the first time that we have seen somebody who has been called to go to leave their family and everything behind and trust the Lord. If you remember back in Genesis 12, Abraham was asked to leave his home, his father, his family, everything behind and go to the place where I will show you. And Abraham faithfully said, yeah, I'll go. And here we have this woman and this woman is being posed with the exact same question. Will you go? And faithfully, she says, yes, I'm going to take this risk, and I'm going to go. But whenever we talk about taking risks or taking a step of faith, there's always this question. When is it proper to take a risk? When is it right to step out on the ledge and to trust God? And when maybe is it a little bit better to be cautious, kind of calculated, um, not jump out quite so quickly? When is it right to say, God, I am trusting you? And when is it right to say, let's think about this? There's some people out there that will say all the time, you know, you just got to let go and let God. I knew this one guy who basically he quit a steady job so that he could go pursue this opportunity that was out of nowhere. It didn't have a lot of stability. And in one year, he found himself bankrupt and begging for his old job back. 
Now, was this a case where basically he had said, I'm willing to step out in faith, and all of a sudden Satan had just come and attacked him? Or was this a case of somebody who had just made a really bad decision? How do we know when we should go out and take a risk? Well, let's see how Rebecca handles this. In verse 50, we see that everyone, Laban, Bethuel, her father, Rebecca, and the servant, they all recognize this thing is from the Lord. This is part of God's mission. God is doing something here. He is moving in a way that I need to trust. So how do we know what God's mission is? How do we know when we should step out and take risks? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. You get in here and you understand what God is doing. And you don't do that alone. You get with people. That's why we have things like community groups and men's study and women's study and places where you can get with other people and read the Bible and study it together and ask the question, where is God going? What is his mission? And how am I a part of that? We have to understand what God's mission is. But, you know, I've been telling you a lot of things that we should be going and doing. We need to go and we need to pray. We need to keep on going. We need to go and take risks. And in this culture, the word go is easy to understand. We are a culture on the go. We're really busy. We like to go. We like to get to the top, to get the promotion, to go and do the task, to sign up for all the activities. That's what we do. We keep going and we go and we go and we go. But eventually you're going to have to stop. You may have to stop because you're burnt out. You may have to stop because you look around and you recognize that everybody else seems happy, but you're really alone and lonely. You may have to stop because it's like you're on this treadmill and you're going, but you don't really feel like there's much of a purpose to wherever it is you're going. We can't just go. We have to understand and look to where we're going. I said earlier that this is more than just a love story, that it's more than just this wedding. And it is. There is something going on in this passage. God is on a mission. And I want to show that to you and try and connect some of these dots. If you look back in verse 28, it says, Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household, mother's household. In most of Genesis, whenever they talk about households, since when do they call it the mother's household? Don't they usually reference the male, the father's household? Isn't that how it usually goes? Why Why is it talking about her mother's household? Bethuel's alive. Her father is alive. Hmm. And then later on in verse 47, and then I said to her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, I'm the daughter of my father, Bethuel, Nahor, um, whom Milcah bore to him. Milcah. Why does it emphasize Milcah, this woman? Well, if you have cross-references in your Bible, you'll notice that this is not the first time that Milcah's name shows up. In fact, it shows up back in Genesis 11:29, before Abraham was even commissioned. In Genesis 11:29, it says, And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran. Milcah. Okay, what's going on here? Why is this Milcah person being mentioned? Who cares who Nahor's wife was? And in fact, if you look at that passage, starting with Shem's lineage back in verse 10, Milcah and Sarai are the only two women mentioned in the entire passage. 
Interesting. So then Abraham goes off on his journey, and he travels to the promised land, and he does some good things, and he does some bad things, and the Lord is with him in everything that he does. And then we go to chapter 22, and he's called to sacrifice Isaac. But then at the end of Genesis 22, in 22.20, we have this random verse. And the verse says, Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has also borne children. There she is again. Why are we talking about Milcah again? The reason we're talking about this woman is because she's the grandmother of a young girl who goes out to a well and gives some water to camels. See, this marriage has been in the works since before Abraham was even sent out from Ur. The Bible is telling you this is part of the plan. This isn't this miraculous, all of a sudden, out of nowhere thing that just happened. God has been doing this starting back in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 29. God is on the move. He is doing something here. What is he doing? Why is this marriage special? You see, this passage, the application for this passage is not, if you're a single guy, go out to the drinking fountain after the service and hang out until you find a wife. That's not the application. Something else is going on here. And when we look at this blessing that they give her in verse 60 of chapter 24, where they say, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate them. That verse echoes what we read earlier in 2217, this idea of an offspring possessing the gate of their enemies. And the word offspring, or more literally, seed, is singular. It's referring to a person. It's talking about a person who's mentioned all the way back in Genesis 3.15 when Eve is told that her offspring, singular, is going to crush the head of the serpent. That offspring is Jesus Christ. You see, God is on a mission. He is doing something in this passage. It is more than just two random people who meet and get married. But before I go too far down that road, let's take a look at this marriage. So in verse 63 and 64, we have this, this love story, this wedding, and it's, it's culminating. We almost have this scene that's out of a movie where all of a sudden, Isaac, he looks up. And at the same time, Rebecca, she looks up and their eyes meet. And there's electricity in the air and all of that. And they wonder to themselves, you know, who is that person? Ooh, ooh. And then later in verse 67, they get married. And it says that Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Why is marriage comforting? You know, a lot of times marriage is uncomfortable. But it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be comforting. How? Why? Marriage is comforting because there is one other person who knows all of your dirt, all of your secrets. They know your true self. They they know who you really are. And yet they accept you. They love you in spite of who you are. Unfortunately, uh, most, a lot of marriages are not like that. And that's because every single one of us is tainted with sin. We're broken. We have this sin that corrupts everything. And that's why God is on a mission. That's why he's on a mission Today is Palm Sunday, 
So we're looking at John 12, 12 through 13. Because on Palm Sunday, Jesus is riding in on a donkey. And it says that there was a crowd that heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they thought that Jesus was coming, that he was coming as a conquering king to take down their enemies. But what they didn't realize was the reason that he was on his way to Jerusalem was he was coming. Jesus, the offspring, was coming to die on a cross. Jesus not only knows your dirt and your secrets and who you really are. Jesus takes that dirt and those secrets and who you really are. And he suffers and he takes the punishment for it. He doesn't just accept you. He purifies you. He purifies you so that one day, one day, all of that mess can be done and over with. In Revelation 19, 6 through 7, it talks about a different marriage, a new marriage that we're going to have. And starting in the middle, it says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Guys, we are that bride. And our husband, Jesus Christ, he loves us. He knows your dirt. He knows your mess. He knows your sin. And in spite of all of it, he still said, I am going to die. I am going to go to the cross and die so that they no longer have to face the punishment for that sin. He loves you with a fierce love. And nothing, nothing can get in the way of his mission to take away your pain and your suffering, and your brokenness. As we go, as we go and we keep going, looking for God's mission, as we prayerfully go, and as we take risks as we go, you have to know that Jesus Christ says, I love you so much. And you can take comfort knowing that where we're going is to a wedding. That's where we're going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not leave us to deal with our mess alone, but that you came. You came on this journey into Jerusalem to die on a cross and rise again so that we would no longer have to deal with our own sin, but that we can find comfort that you, our husband, love us and you accept us and you purify us. And there is no greater news So we praise you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.